right, if you will take your Bibles. I know that the tune of that song is really nice and everything else, but I, I hope that your heart is hungering after the things of Jesus. Um, we get so busy in this world. We get so tied up with, with things and the things that we're doing, and we don't hunger for Jesus. It's, it's, it's just the, the fact. Um, even in my own life, often, um, you know, you get, you get busy with work. You get, uh, it's almost chaotic at times with work. And the Bible does still tell us to be still and know that he's God. We're supposed to be still. And sometimes being still doesn't even mean sitting down and reading your Bible. Sometimes it means be still and listen to what God is, is trying to tell you to do or trying to. Can you turn that down just a little bit, Josh? Thank you. Um, what he's telling you to do or just the way he's telling you to live. Things that you need to change in your life. Sometimes they're not even bad things, but things that are not the best, what God wants us uh, to be doing. So hopefully that is, that is a prayer of your heart, um, that, that you're hungering for the things of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah is a, I like the book of Isaiah. It's, I, I, uh, it's kind of my go-to book. Anytime I'm, you know, I finish up a book or something uh, in my Bible reading, then I'll, I'll, uh, a lot of times it's my fallback. Go to Isaiah. There's so much in Isaiah. And it's, it's interesting, as I was studying for this lesson, uh, for this message, that uh, Isaiah, and we'll get to it here in a second, but Isaiah is very much a mini Bible, all in one book. Uh, a lot of times we say John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell, right? The book of Isaiah is the Bible kind of in a nutshell. And it's really interesting. We'll talk about it here in a, in a few minutes. But uh, Isaiah chapter 59 uh, and this particular chapter is kind of giving us a, a glimpse into the heart of man, the, uh, the, the spirit of the age that we live in. And by spirit, I mean the, 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 the tenor of the age that we're living in. Isaiah chapter 59 really picks up on that, even though it was written thousands of years ago, thousands of years before we're living today. Um, but there's so much in Isaiah chapter 59 that is exactly... I mean, it could be written to us today, and it, and it makes perfect sense, which we know that the Bible is a living book. It applies to us uh, across all ages, and uh, it's one more reason why we know that it's, it's the truth. It's, what God, it's God's letter, God's book to us, and it still applies to us. Um, but Isaiah chapter 59 does contain, contain some negative things. It's talking about, in Isaiah 59, it's talking about the last days. The last, the last days, anytime it's talked about in the Bible, is, is kind of a difficult topic. Uh, it's not things that we want to talk about, but it's things that we need to, um, to realize or recognize that are happening. We know the last days are upon us, and we'll read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 here in a second. If you want to go over there, you're more than welcome to. It's seven verses over there that we're going to read. Uh, but sometimes uh, talking about the last days is, is, comes across as negative, and, and it is negative. It's, it's something that we, uh, God tells us in the last days, this is what's going to happen. Uh, so we know we're living in the end times, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, those verses were written to the church in that age. They thought they were in the last days. 
And I'm not saying that we aren't. We very possibly could, could be. The Bible says Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night. Nobody knows the, the time. Nobody knows the hour that he's going to come. He could come back today. But we are living in, in the end times age just by looking around at the world around us and seeing kind of what is going on. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And if that doesn't describe our world, I mean, it's, it's not just that, oh, yeah, that's true, that people are doing that. It's an agenda that's being pushed. Love yourself. Be yourself. You know, don't, don't change who you are because somebody doesn't accept. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And it's not just talking about that. That's the phrase we use nowadays. Interesting. Love yourself. And the Bible says they'll be lovers of their own selves in the last days. But it's a selfishness. Uh, Sarah knows, my wife, I, I, when we drive up here on Sundays, it just, uh, and Pastor has talked about it before, he's, you know, go out, on, go out to Short Pump Town Center on a Sunday and see the masses of people wandering around. They, they don't know what they're living for. They, the world has told them, you got to live, you know, to make money and spend that money on nice things and, and you have to keep this image up but they're wandering around, by, uh, Jesus said, as sheep without a shepherd. No clue what, what they're doing as they go through life. But when you come up on here on a Sunday and the traffic is just terrible, I know they're not all going to church. They're lovers of their own self. Sunday is another day to go do whatever they want to do. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, I mean, a perfect description of, of the day we live in <clears throat> today. Verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. And, and stopping there, despisers of those that are good. I mean, people that do good, Christians that try to live by the Bible are hated. They're not just disliked. They're not just, uh, you know, ignored. They're hated and attacked. Uh despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of thereof. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, switches from the world and starts talking about the church, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. These are the end times. From such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning <clears throat> and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, verse 5, though, is, is pretty important and pretty powerful in that it says the church even has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. What does that mean? They have a form of godliness. They go to church. They, they carry their Bible maybe. But the power that is, uh, that is available to us through the Holy Spirit, through, through what God wants to give to us, we deny it. Not just that we don't take it. We deny it. And, and we're not going to get into it. But you can, you can go into uh, some of the news stories and things like that. Even uh, It always interests me when a, when a, a pastor or a you know, sometimes it's even priests or whatever are interviewed. And I mean, they have this platform. They can, they can make any statement they want and have 
you know, a whole region hear about it, whatever, whoever carries that news, that radio station or whatever, and they'll skirt around issues and all that, denying the power thereof, the power that is there to be had. Um, and, and here's the thing, uh, there's no getting around this wickedness in the last days. The Bible says it's going to happen. So <clears throat> it's not a, hey, if you don't want the last days to come, don't do these things. He's saying the last days, the, this is what's going to happen, and you can't change it. But think about what happened in the New Testament, right uh, just at the very beginning of the New Testament, when Jesus Christ came to this earth. Um, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. That's Galatians 4, 4. What, did it, what does that mean? The fullness of the time was come. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about that was about what that is, but the fullness of the time, all it is is when everything was set in place according to God, then he sent his son. And, you know, that, that can mean a lot of different things, and this is all introduction. Introduction is pretty long, and then we'll get into the message, but um, th there's several different things that, that that could mean. First thing was uh, the Jews had great anticipation of a Messiah, coming they were under roman rule and they didn't like being under roman rule and from from their scriptures that they had always been taught growing up the old testament they had this idea that when the messiah came he was going to be a king right Bob, the old testament talked about that in the prophecies talking about jesus that he was going to be this conquering king that he was going to come and save them and so they were looking forward to this messiah it gave them a a, a hunger for that uh, another thing is Rome had unified most of the known world under its government, um, which made it very easy to travel. Now, remember the prophecies about Jesus. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to, and, and then we know Mary and Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem um, to pay their taxes and all that. It made travel very easy being under the Roman, Roman rule. Uh, it also, uh, Rome had conquered most of the known military known world militarily <clears throat> but Greece the, the Greek culture had taken over culturally and so this common form of the Greek language it was a trade language that everybody used almost like English is today made it very easy for the gospel to be given out uh, it made it very easy for the gospel to be preached uh, once Jesus did come so the fullness of the time is that what it was talking about I mean there's there's other things um the false idols that the, that the Jews had, uh, had fallen prey to had not delivered. There was, they weren't giving them anything. So they're, they're fed up with these idols and all the rest. They're looking for something different. And here, Jesus is about to be born. Um, the Roman army, this is, and this is another very interesting thing, but the Roman army had gone and recruited from all corners of their kingdom. So now they come in. Jesus is born, starts his ministry, and they all leave, go back to their homes and spread the gospel. Some of them, you know, getting saved. It's said that the earliest introduction of the gospel to Great Britain was a result of uh, Christian soldiers stationed there. They'd come to Rome, been trained, heard the gospel, and went back and spread the gospel to Great Britain. So is that what the fullness of the time means? Um, 
to, to the human mind, maybe, yes, man, it was perfect. You couldn't have laid it out any more perfect than that. But God doesn't uh, always see things the way we do. And, and there's other reasons uh, that God very well had. I mean, think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament was, was there to lead men to Christ. Uh, so did he have a hand in all of the Roman, uh, the Roman conquest and everything else in bringing his son? Absolutely. It's the providence of God. But he, he had given the Jews everything they needed to understand Jesus was the Messiah and to accept him. And when he had laid all of the law out and, and given them every opportunity to understand what the law was and understand that the Messiah was going to fulfill that law, then the fullness of the time was come. And I don't pretend to understand, oh, you know, all those reasons were just side notes. This is why God did it. But if you look in the Bible, the Old Testament was, I mean, the prophecies were fulfilled or everything was in place for Jesus to come and then he sends his son. Uh, Galatians 3, 22 and 23 says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Uh, Romans three nineteen, or sorry, verse, verse uh, I didn't read the last verse, 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. So he's saying before Jesus came to this earth, they were kept under the law and didn't understand the faith that was going to be revealed in Jesus Christ. When the fullness of time was come, Jesus was revealed, and it all made sense to the, the person that wanted to know, the person that wanted to understand what Jesus was doing. Romans three nineteen and 20 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, but every, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You understand what that's saying? The, the law was there to help you to understand you're guilty before the law. You can't keep the law. That's why it was here. And we just went through a whole uh, series with pastor teaching uh, about the Pharisees and all that. How It's actually in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is, is preaching. And he says, you've heard that it's been said, whatever. I'm telling you to do this. That's what, that's what Romans chapter 3 is saying. The law wasn't there necessarily to keep. It was there to, to help you understand you can't keep it all. And you need something more than the law. Uh, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the fullness of time had come. They had, find, they had, they had the knowledge of their sin. They knew exactly what they needed to do. And hopefully the law was to help them understand you, there's nothing you can do now. You are guilty before the law and you can't fix that. Now here's Jesus Christ to fulfill the law that you couldn't fulfill. Um, and I say all that to say, Isaiah chapter 59 is very similar in the way that it progresses through the book that, that the Bible. So the first part of Isaiah is all law and, and uh, keeping the law. And then the last part of the book is very similar to the New Testament, the, that, the, that Jesus Christ had come uh, to, to save. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into Isaiah chapter 59 and the meat of the message. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I thank you again uh, for this church. God, I thank you for the people that make it up. God, I thank you for 
every person that is here today. God, I pray that you would be with uh, my words, that you'd help me to say exactly what you want me to say. God, I pray that you'd help my thoughts to come across clearly and, and concisely and that we would understand uh, what your word is, is saying here in Isaiah chapter 59. It would be a challenge to us. Uh, God, the truth of your word, the truth of your son, the truth of the gospel, as we'll see here later in the chapter, has fallen in the street and is being trampled. And I pray that as Christians, we would pick it back up. We would uh, declare it to the world and we would uh, bring it back out into the light to grow uh, and to be, a, be a, a beacon of hope to the world and a beacon of hope to the churches that have, have lost their way. And uh, God, I just pray that you would um, just be with us as we go through this message that you'd speak even to my heart again as you have uh, through, the, through study and that you'd speak to the hearts of the people that are in this building, that you bless them for uh, being in church as you've commanded uh, this morning. Pray that you give us a good day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Isaiah, like I said before, is like a mini Bible. And some of the kids might know some of these uh, answers. Some of the adults might. But how many books are there in the Bible? Somebody, somebody shout it out. 66. How many chapters are there in Isaiah? Anybody know that? 66. Uh, how many sections is the Bible split into? Two. We got the and the got the Old and the New Testament, and that's what I was just referencing. Isaiah is split very similarly, where it talks all about the law and it being a schoolmaster and everything else, and then the last part of the book it talks about Jesus coming. Remember, uh, there's verses all over in Isaiah about the the. Uh, the prophes prophesying what Jesus would go through in his uh, crucifixion. Um, so, how many books are in the, in the Old Testament of the, the Bible? 39. 39. If you go, and you can study this out on your own, but if you go to chapter 39 of Isaiah, you could see a clear split where it stops talking about the law and it switches to talking about grace. Um, and so then, uh, obviously, there's 27 books in the New Testament, and that's the last 27 chapters of Isaiah talks about very, very similar, similar to the New Testament. And I say all that to say by Isaiah 59, we're close to the end of the book, right? So we're close to the end times, and that's where Isaiah 59 picks up. Um, verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. And it goes on, talking about the way the world is going to be in the end times. Um, but we're going to focus on um, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14 through 16. Verse 14 says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice is, uh, standeth far off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And look at verse 16. This is the whole, the whole point of the beginning of the message, talking about the fullness of time when Jesus came to save men. Very similar here. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was 
no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Verse 16 is saying he, he found no one to pick that truth up that had fallen in the street. Nobody was there to... Uh, nobody was there to intercess. Nobody was there to pray. The churches were weak. The churches were gone. And so what did Jesus do? His arm brought salvation. It's Jesus alone, uh, which we see through the entire New Testament. It's, it's by grace alone that we're saved. And at the, in the end times, right here, uh, Isaiah chapter 59, Jesus alone comes down to make, make, it, make the world right, so to speak. But he brings, uh, he raptures his people, and then he, he judges the world. And we know the whole, uh, all that through Revelation. But I want to focus on, I do want to focus on verse 14. Truth is fallen in the street. Um, and it's interesting, verse 15 there. Uh, truth faileth. He that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. If that's not a, is, is that not a picture of the world? You, you stand up for a second against the wickedness in the world and, and all the guns turn toward whoever it is to try to silence that person. Uh, if him that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. So let's, let's get into it. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14. Judgment, uh, judgment is turned away backward. It's interesting. What, is, what does that mean exactly? Judgment is turned away backward. Does it mean that um, judgment is, is so, so foreign that it's a, it's, a, it's a backward thing to most people? You understand what I mean? Third world countries, we call them backward. Is judgment so rare and so uh, few and far between that it's just a backward thing? I think what the Bible is saying here in, in verse 14 is judgment tried to come into the city, tried to come in, and the people said, we don't want it. We don't want justice. We don't want what you have to offer. And judgment is turned away backward. Uh, listen to the news. Watch the TV. Any Everything. There is no... Right is wrong, wrong is right. Judgment was turned away backward. Now, judgment uh, can be wisdom, too. Think about Solomon. Remember when, when he prayed and asked for wisdom and God gave it to him? Uh, and just the, some of the decisions that he made, wisdom was a prevalent thing in his kingdom. There was a day where wisdom and godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, was a thing in this country. But it has been turned away backwards. The people have said, we don't, we don't care about truth. We care about followers on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, whichever one is whichever. That's what we care about. Judgment? No. Uh, same thing with, with television and radio and all the rest of that. Judgment? Justice? You know, right and wrong? No. We want, we want um, uh, ratings. That's all that matters. If we can make you think that, that, that this is a certain way, even if we know it's not, if we can make you think it's a certain way to get ratings, we'll do it. We'll say whatever we have to say. And judgment is, is trying to think of the government. Um, some of the decisions that are passed down by our courts and, the, and different things. Judgment is trying to worm its way in and say, hey, this, what you're doing is not right, but, but it's turned away backward. And when we, when we get rid of ju judgment and justice and truth, it gets darker and darker 
and darker. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes, and the Bible is tossed aside. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Um, Isaiah is predicting that this is how the world is going to be before the return of Christ. These are the end times. Um, but sadly, judgment's not alone in being turned away from our people turning it away. Uh, look at the second part of the verse. Judgment is turned away backward and justice, righteousness standeth afar off. Think about the picture Isaiah is, is, is painting here. He's personifying these different uh, truth and justice and judgment. He's, he's making them almost turn into you know, a personification where righteousness and, and justice, they're standing afar off. They don't want anything to do with this world because they won't be had. Verse 15 says, he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. And, and the righteousness sees that and says, I, you know, I'm not going to go in there and force myself on people. They don't want me. And so justice standeth afar off. Um, think about how shamelessly the world pushes its agenda. Um, and I'll, I'll just pick on one thing, but, you know, just so, like the gay pride parades and the, and the whole homosexual agenda. And we, our pastor talks about it all the time. We do not hate the homosexuals. We hate the sin. But we want them to be saved. Jesus wants them to be saved and turn from that lifestyle. But Satan has, is in this world and he has gotten this agenda going almost to, to where if you say anything about it, you're being intolerant. Uh, we have a whole, it's not a program, but a whole uh, department actually is what it is. Uh, part of the HR department at work. It's IND, Inclusion and Diversity. And I'm all for being inclusive. I don't think anybody, you know, the color of their skin or their religion or anything else should be uh, not able to get a job or not able to move up in their job or anything like that. But Satan has pushed this agenda so hard. Out in the streets, they say anything goes in the streets, right? And so here we are. You know, drugs is, is, is rampant. Uh, the gay pride parades, the, the godlessness. But the second somebody stands up for righteousness and goes on the street corner to preach, they try to shut them down. The law tries to shut them down, not just people. People have always tried to shut down uh, anybody talking about God, but the law tries to shut them down. They'll send the police. You can't do that. You don't have a permit and all the rest of this. Um, righteousness stands afar off because of this act, these, these actions of, of this world. Uh, Romans 1, chapter 22 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Satan has taken some of these new and popular sins and made them gods to people. And it says, professing themselves to be wise. Oh, this is the new thing. This is the new way to be. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. It was saying they've made idols. 
They've taken something that belong, uh, an honor and a glory that belongs only to God and given it to a man or an image of a man. Um, but, but the world drowns out that righteousness. And so instead of fighting it and fighting it, as Isaiah per personifies righteousness, uh, righteousness has just walked outside of the city and stood afar off and waited to be invited in again. Um, and who is there to invite righteousness back into the city or back into the world? It should be Christians. It should be God's people. But unfortunately, we're so caught up with the things of the world ourselves that we don't even see that righteousness is gone. We don't see that it's standing afar off, crying to uh, God's people to bring it in again. But then we get to the, second, uh, the, the third part of verse 14. Truth is fallen in the street. There's nothing quite like truth. Uh, righteousness is, is great. We, we want to be righteous. We want to be holy. Uh, Judgment, we need it to, to have justice and equity in, in our world, but there's nothing quite like truth. What is truth? I mean, truth is, is not a, you know, a judgment that can be passed down. Truth is something that is, is uh, you can't change it. If it's true, you can't change it. If it's, uh, if it's truth, I don't care what you don't like about it. I don't care what you, how you feel about it. It's truth. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It doesn't say you shall know righteousness and it'll set you free. It doesn't say you'll know how to, you'll have wisdom and it will set you free. It says you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's nothing quite like truth. Um, but, what, but what of truth? What has happened to truth? Verse 14 says, truth has fallen in the street. In the place where she used to be received and accepted, um, she has, truth has faltered, truth has stumbled. Truth doesn't go outside of the city and look from afar off. Truth stays right there in the street, but it's not accepted. Um, people hate how truth is so absolute, how it's uh, so sure about things, right? Mr. Forbes and I were talking at a, at a door yesterday um, and she wasn't. She was not rude by any stretch. To give her, um, to give her um, credit where it's due, but she this, this woman came outside, probably 45, 50 maybe, and I said, uh, "Hey, we're from Mount Victory Baptist Church, and we're you know we we're out in the neighborhood letting people know that we're here, letting people know that our church is is out here." I said, "Do you have a church that you normally go to?" And she said, "Eh, we're not really church going type." I said, that's fine. Um, maybe for you know Christmas or something like that, you could come out and, and, and visit, pay us a visit. And she said, yeah, I might do that. I said, now on the back of that track that, we, that we're handing out, I said, on the back of that track, there's some verses from the Bible that can show you how you can know for sure when you die, you're going to go to heaven. And she said, that sounds serious. And I said, it is serious. This is, this, the Bible tells us that after we die, we have, Two places, heaven or hell. And the time we have on earth is, is the only time we have to make that decision. And you could see her wheels turning, couldn't you? She just, she'd never heard it ever in her life. Almost probably 50 years old. Never been to church. Uh, never heard the gospel message. Um, 
But I say that to say, when, when she said, wow, that sounds serious, is, is what she was saying is, boy, you sound, sound so sure of yourself that you can know for sure you're going to die. When you die, you can go to heaven. But that's what people don't want to hear. I want to work my way to heaven. I, I, it can't be that easy. But truth is so sure. It's so absolute. The problem is truth is not being preached. Truth is not being spoken anymore in our churches or, or by Christians. And so truth has started to wobble. Truth has started to waver. Um, and our era is not the first time truth has, has been in this predicament. Uh, think about, uh, you look back at, at Christ. He's walking down the street uh, on his way to uh, Golgotha, on his way to the cross. And he's stumbles, stumbling under the load of the, of the cross. And there is one man the Bible talks about that helps him, but the majority of the crowd, what are they doing? Instead of saying, wow, you know, we realize this is truth. We need to help it up. The Bible talks about that Jesus is truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Uh, Jesus is the truth. But he's stumbling there and nobody to help him. He, uh, instead, they help truth fall over, right? They start telling, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, truth incarnate, Jesus Christ, is walking through the street. And these, these Jews, these people who were supposed to believe in him and accept the Messiah, are willing to trample truth in the street. Look forward to the dark ages. Uh, God's word, is they're attempting to eradicate the, the Catholic Church. Uh, Pastor mentioned this a uh, few weeks ago. And he said uh, that they were, I think, just taking the Bible. I can't remember. But they, they were actually wouldn't let a Bible be printed outside of that Latin tongue because nobody, nobody knew that language. So they were fine having the Bible printed, just not in a tongue that people could understand. And so truth is trying to be eradicated. And here we have, and this is the whole point of the message, we have a couple courageous men that grab truth by the hand, pick it up out of the street, and they're hand-copying uh, portions of the scripture to be able to pass out because the truth is that important to them. You fast forward to the communist regimes of the early and mid-1900s, even into the after the mid-1900s. Uh, they're always after the Bible. They're always after the scriptures. They're burning copies of the Bible. They're destroying every everybody they find with a Bible. Uh, and you have a few, few men who, we watched a video, I think last January, about the, the printing presses, that they were secretly printing Bibles in, in Russia and, and passing these Bibles out. God is looking in verse 15 or 16. He saw that there was no man, wondered that there was no intercessor. God is looking for somebody to pick truth back up by the hand and be courageous enough to just go out and proclaim it. We're not like the Russians. We're not or the, the communist regimes. We're not, we are not in the situation they were in the Dark Ages. We're not dying if we're found with a Bible. It's so easy for us to take the truth and give it out. We have opportunities anytime we want to take the truth. And it doesn't mean you have to go on a street corner and preach. It means you can take a track and say, look, there's some Bible verses on here. It's God's word that we're passing out. But we cannot get Christians to take truth by the hand. The world doesn't even doesn't know what truth is. The world has no interest in truth. So we can't expect them to do it. But Christians won't take truth by the hand, pick it up, and set it into the light so that it can grow again. Uh, 
that's the current state that we're in. Truth is, is tottering. Men and women declaring themselves to be opposite genders. Uh, inclusion and diversity is shut the mouth of any reasoning person. There's a lot of guys that were that believe like I do as far as, you know, a lot of the homosexuality and transgender and all that, but they've been taught for so long, just don't talk about it, you know. And that's what Satan wants. He wants us to just be like, whatever, let it go. And that's why we're in the state that we're in. But we don't expect the world to oppose it. But we do expect the churches, we expect the Christians to oppose it. But we've let it go so long we don't even know that what we believe about it, so we don't say anything. Uh, the church, the guardians of the truth, were allowing truth to be trampled. I mean, uh, babies are still being murdered. Um, and it's not like we can go and stop every single abortion. We don't have the manpower, especially in our church. But but to not stand up and say anything. I mean, we have priests that are, eh, you know, in certain situations. Murder's fine in certain situations. Killing babies. God's creation is fine in certain situations, they're saying. Um, verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. It's interesting also. He says he, he saw there was no man, but, and it doesn't say, and he saw that there was no intercessor. He wondered that there was no intercessor. God wondered that there was no intercessor. I mean, what's going through his mind? These people are redeemed. I've saved them. And, and not one will stand up for the truth is what verse 16 is saying there. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. So what verse 16 is saying is then God, God stands out in the street himself, picks truth up, and carries it alone but it's his, that's his return. He, it, it, what, the, what the Bible is saying is when he couldn't find a man, he couldn't find an intercessor, and he finally takes it into his own hand like he did when he came the first time and died on the cross, and he takes it into his own hand and says, all right, that's it. There's no truth. There's no intercessor. Judgment is gone. Justice is gone. Righteousness is gone. I'm coming back to get my people. It's over. Uh but he commands us to give out the gospel. He commands us to uh, preach his word, to, to carry the truth, to be the torchbearers uh, for the truth. And the world, is, the world is not out there not looking for anything. They are looking, but they're looking for a man. Uh, I want to read a couple quotes real quick, and you may remember some of these. I did uh, from when Barack Obama was running and then when he was elected. And this is what, what I mean by this is this is not a, a slam on Barack Obama at all. These are people talking about him when he was running. And the point is that people are looking for something. They know the world's not right. And they're looking for some, something, and they usually turn to a man. So Steve Davis said this, Barack's appeal is actually messianic. He communicates God-like energy. What if God decided to incarnate as men preaching hope and change? And what if we let them slip away, not availing ourselves to be led by God? He's saying, what if, what if Barack Obama is God incarnate, came down to this earth, and we're going to let him slip away? They're looking for somebody to be the torch bearer for truth. Uh, Chris Matthews, I remember this one. This is bigger than Kennedy. This is the New Testament. I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, I don't have that too often. No, seriously, it's a dramatic event. 
uh, Lynn Sweet, Chicago Sun-Times, said this, Obama, to me, must be not just an ordinary human being, but indeed an advanced soul come to lead America out of this mess. Gary Hart said, he's not operating on the same plane as ordinary politicians. The agent of transformation in an age of revolution as a figure uniquely qualified to open the door to the 21st century. And I want to read this last one because Jesse Jackson is supposed to be a reverend. He's supposed to be a preacher, right? This is what he said. The event itself is so extraordinary that another chapter could be added to the Bible to chronicle its significance. Uh, God looks and sees no man. The world is looking desperately for somebody to help to, to make the change. You have the emerging church. Uh, and that's the, point, that's the point of this message is God is looking down. We have churches everywhere. Churches opening, churches booming. Uh, mega churches with thousands and thousands and thousands of people in them. And God looks down and says, I couldn't find a single person to carry the truth. Not a single person to be an intercessor. Uh, there was no man. The emerging church, uh, it's interesting, they were really, really popular, not not all that long ago, and they've kind of waned a little bit, but they're still there. But the emerging church is preachers preaching that um, they're redefining salvation, the salvation of souls to be the salvation of the planet. That's what the emerging church is. We've come so far. So they really push climate change and all the rest of that. But they've, we've come so far even in our churches to, they don't even believe salvation themselves. They missed the whole point of what the whole Bible is for. The Old Testament is to point us to Christ. The New Testament is to show us Christ is the one we were, that it was pointing us to. He is the way to salvation. And the churches are completely missing it. And the emerging church is not a, it's not a Baptist or anything like that. It's a whole group of churches that are moving in a certain direction. But the emerging church, they're not bearing the truth. They're not uh, carrying the torch. Uh, George Bush said this. And I'm afraid that a lot of Christians are, are in this same boat. We first of all, or, or he says, well, first of all, somebody asked him what he believes about, about God. He said, first of all, I believe in an almighty God. And I believe that all the world, whether Muslim, Christian, or any other religion, prays to the same God. That's what I believe. And I think that a lot of Christians are just like that. They don't know what they believe, so they make up whatever they want to believe. And that's what, that's what God warns us against Everybody doing that which was right in his own eyes. A um, few more thoughts about truth falling in the street, and then I'm going to close with an illustration, and then we'll be done. Um, we have a lot of, Ameri of American truths that are falling in the street, and uh, that's not necessarily the point of this message, but American truths, capitalism, marriage, freedom, church attendance, hard work, family, they're all under attack. Uh, and you'll have a few. I love watching some of the uh, C-SPAN uh, um, videos of some of our senators and, and, and different uh, congressmen and women that do stand up. It's fun to, to watch them stand up and fight, but it's not, a, it's not a charade to them. They're really trying to stand up and make a difference, and it, and it seems to make no difference. They're, they're mocked in a way. They're, they're laughed, laughed at. Uh, radio and television, we have people saying whatever they feel like saying because they got this platform Truth is falling in the street. It's, they could say whatever they want, whether it's true or not. Uh, does it match up with God's word is what we should be looking at. Um, Bible has been tossed out of courtrooms, schools, homes. And like I said, even now our churches. 
these emerging churches don't care about God's word. They're, they're not preaching it. They'll get up and do Sunday morning talks, but they're, they're not using God's word. Um, truth has fallen in the street, but uh, as rare as truth is today, uh, especially in the West, we saw this last Sunday, those, those pastors that are in India still working away. God is using some of these churches in other countries uh, to see his work done. It doesn't say truth was fallen in the street in America and no one was there to pick it up, but truth was fallen and there was no intercessor. I do believe that some of these other countries, India and, and uh, some of the Christians in China are picking up this truth and they're putting us to shame. Uh, they have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back regardless of the, of the persecution they endure or anything else. I'm going to give you a, a, a story. It's, it's a little bit lengthy, but it, as soon as I'm done with it, we'll be done. Um, it's a story about a guy in uh, Iraq. And this story comes from Joel Rosenberg, which I didn't know who, I heard the name a lot, but I didn't know exactly who he was, so I looked it up. And he's actually an evangelical Jew, lives in Israel. And I read his whole testimony, everything's very interesting, uh, that his parents got saved uh, in their, later in life. He got saved as a, as a teenager, and he's very, very uh, uh, active and very outspoken about believing that Jesus Christ is our, our Savior and all the rest of that. Very anti-Jewish, except he is actually a Jew, Rosenberg. But anyway... He wrote this story. This is actually from him, and I'm just going to read it word for word, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to follow along easy enough. But it's a testimony of this guy in Iraq. He says, I met Shakir during my first trip to Iraq in February of 2008, another fearless and effective evangelist, church planner, and pastor in his war-torn country. Shakir has a tremendous passion to care for the poor and needy, preach the gospel, especially in villages and rural areas, and help young converts from Islam study the Bible, become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This was not always the case. Indeed, how Shakir became a Christian and entered full-time ministry is one of the most fascinating testimonies I personally have ever had the privilege of hearing firsthand. Uh, he says, our journey to a humanitarian relief project we were doing together was long and dusty, and required our little team traveling in an old Chevy Impala to pass through numerous military checkpoints, each manned by heavy armed Iraq soldiers and policemen checking passports and asking questions, all on high alert for members of Al-Qaeda and the, the Mahdi Army. Along the way, I found myself staring out at landscape that was often as barren as the surface of the moon, covered with rocks nearly devoid of vegetation and only scarcely populated. During a lull in the conversation with an Iraqi in the car who I had, I had known for several years, I asked the meek-looking and mild-mannered Pastor Shakir how he became a Christ follower and pastor. Were you raised in a Christian home? He's asking through a translator. No, he replied quietly. I was raised a Muslim. Really? What did you do before becoming a pastor? He said, I was a jihadi cell commander. And Rosenberg says, I gulped. You don't say. Please tell me your story, I, I said eagerly and pulled out my notebook. So he goes to tell his story. He says, in 1975, he was born to a devout Sunni Muslim family, and that as he grew up, he became deeply, deeply religious. Even at an early age, he loved going to the mosque regularly. By the age of 17, he had joined a secret radical Islamic movement. He studied hard and learned quickly, and before long, he was reaching the, teaching the Quran in various mosques. 
He says, my leaders then sent me to a military training camp where I was trained to use light weapons, pistols, machine guns, and RPGs against the infidels. I was so excited because I wanted to do jihad for God. I was fully convinced that the Shias and the Christians were blasphemers and that if I killed them, I would be blessed. After successfully completing Terrorism 101, Shakir was made a jihad cell commander and was ordered to quietly recruit other jihadists. He says, I soon had a group of my own followers. I would put them through this military training and then help them get jobs in different government offices and other shops and businesses so they could spy for me and be in a position to do great damage when we launched the overthrow of Saddam and his regime. One day, one of Shakir's radical Muslim disciples came to him and said that someone was distributing Bibles to everyone in the machine shop where he worked. The disciple was very angry and told Shakir that he had cursed, cursed out everyone in the shop, collected all the Bibles, and destroyed all of them except one. He brought one Bible, a New Testament, to me, Shakir, and said that I should read it and see how to react and counter it. Shakir explains that he said he, he praised his disciple for acting quickly and decisively. Then he sent the disciple away and took the Bible home. And that night, he began to read the gospel according to Matthew. I read the book very fervently to find all the blasphemies and corruption, Shakir said. But I discovered the words started affecting my mind and my heart started changing. These were powerful words, not human words. They seemed to me more like God's words, but I thought, how could this be? Shakir became deeply troubled. He kept reading through Matthew, but was ashamed of himself because rather than finding fault with these Christian scriptures, he found himself completely intrigued. He had so many questions, but who could he ask? He couldn't very well start discussing the life and teachings of Jesus with members of the terrorist cell group. He couldn't very well ask questions of the terrorist leaders above him. He didn't dare seek out any Christians, so night after night he kept reading the Gospels, searching for the answers. The more he did, the more troubled and anxious he became. After the reading the Bible in a deep way, I began comparing it with the Quran, he said. I was so confused, and in my confusion, I began pleading with God, please show me yourself. I begged God, please show me the right way. Is it the Quran or the Bible? This went on for several nights, he says. One night, I was really pleading with God fervently to show me the true straight path, and that night, I had a dream. I found myself standing on the side of the road. There was a large crowd gathered on both sides of the road, and they were cheering and very excited. And I realized that they were waiting a parade to go by. So I looked down the road to see who was coming, and I saw many prophets riding on horses coming towards us. Jonah, David, Abraham, Moses, riding on high, strong horses. Everyone was cheering. I was cheering. I was so excited to see these prophets. He kept waiting for Muhammad to come riding by as well, but Muhammad never came. He was not in the parade of prophets. Instead, Shakir said that at the end of the procession, I saw another person riding. He was riding on a donkey instead of a horse. He was wearing a white robe, and his face was covered by a white shroud. When this person approached, for some reason, I heard myself calling out to him and asking, Are you Jesus? His face was covered by a cloth. So I couldn't really see his face at the moment. But when he heard my question, the man pulled the cloth away from his face and smiled at me and nodded yes. Something came from his face that filled me with joy I had never felt in my whole life. I started shouting, I saw Jesus, I saw Jesus. This is this guy's testimony. I mean, he's telling uh, Joel Rosenberg this. I was so happy and so joyful, and I was laughing, but as soon as I woke up, I realized my pillowcase and my sheets were all wet around me. I had, at some point during my dream, been crying and sobbing in shame for all of my sins, for all of my hatred. He found himself overcome with the realization that he had been so wrong about God about Islam, about terrorism. He also found himself incredibly grateful and humbled that Jesus 
would come and rescue him and forgive him of all his sins and set him on the true path to heaven. I felt a strong joy and I wanted, my, wanted to find my Muslim disciples and tell them that I loved them and that Jesus loved them. After that dream, my life was completely changed. I was eager to evangelize, to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. I couldn't hide that joy. The more I read of the Gospels, the more I felt I had to tell people about this love of God, even people that I hated. This was not easy. I was mocked and persecuted by many. Once I was beaten by eight people, I was nearly assassinated three times. It's okay. Since I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, I'm ready to put my life, my family, as a sacrifice for Jesus. He says, what a re remarkable transformation, I thought, as Shakir finished his story. story. He seemed to be thinking the same thing, for when our time was up and interview was over, Shakir stood up, looked me straight in the eye, and without any expression on his face, said, Joel, you are very, you are very lucky. And Joel says, why do you say that? He, said, he took a deep breath and said, because had I met you in 1993, I would have killed you immediately. But now you are my brother in Jesus, and I love you. And a huge smile flashed across his face, and he threw his arms around him, gave him a big hug. I read that story to say, uh, you know, we're so busy with everything that we've got going on in our lives, we can't pass the scriptures out. We can't tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. This terrorist cell jihad leader finds a copy of the New Testament and is, comes to Christ on his own. How much more w would God do with us if we were willing? If we're willing to pick truth up, take it out into the streets, not to be trampled on, but to be a beacon for, for others to see. I think God has so much for us to do. He, has, he wants people to be saved. But in verse 16, he wondered that there was no intercessor, that there, uh, that there was no man. And when he cannot find a single solitary person, then he's going to come back and bring salvation himself. He's going to come back and bring his own home. How many of our friends don't, will not come with us? Uh, people that we work with, people that we know, because we've not shared the truth with them. Truth is fallen in the street, and God is asking his people, his Christians, to pick it up and, sh and share it with others. Will you do that? That's the question. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I know I went, I went long today. I'm, I'm terrible at that. Um, I get to rambling and everything else. But I, I think this passage in the Bible is so important for us. God, God is looking for somebody to pick the truth up and to share it with others. Will you do that? Or will we leave here today and go back to our homes, go back to our jobs, and continue on the same exact way? What good is coming to church if it doesn't change us? What good is coming to church and hearing a message if you agree with it, you believe it, but it doesn't make any difference in the way you actually live? We're going to close and pray, but hopefully God spoke to your heart. And uh, if, if he has, after we pray, the invitation will be open. Come and, and speak with him. Come and, and commit to him that you're going to pick up the truth that's been dropped in the street by so many Christians and the world alike. Pick it up and share it with others. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I thank you for your word. It's so powerful. Even a little, a little three-verse piece that can be picked out, and there's so much there in it. God, I, I pray that you would forgive us as Christians for uh, letting the truth be dropped in the street and trampled and letting the world run it over. God, I pray that you help each one of us to pick the truth up, to pick up your word, to pick up some tracks and go out 
into the streets to those we know and share the gospel with them. I pray that you would give us a good day, bring us back here safely uh, tonight. But God, I just pray that you would help decisions to be made. If hearts were stirred, I pray that you would help decisions to be made and kept uh, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.